0: Is Sandra Beck and we have got such a great show today. You're gonna wanna grab a pen and a piece of paper. You're gonna wanna make note of this. You're gonna wanna find it on iTunes and give it to your friends because one of the things that I find with parenting is my friends ask me questions. I'm like, what do I know? I'm my kid's the same age as your age. How am I supposed to know like how to handle this or what's coming next? I'm not a parenting expert, but I do have a lady who who is and today we're going to be visiting with Sharon Silver and she's the owner of proactiveparenting.net and we are putting together a four-part parenting season uh parenting series and you're not going to want to miss this because we are going to talk about yelling we are going to talk about arguing we're going to talk about consequences we're going to talk about feelings I mean these things are so important especially when your kids hit the preteen, teen years you know when When my kids were little, Sharon, I thought, oh, these little blessed angels. And I really didn't have the terrible twos and the troublesome threes. And, you know, and I was a divorced single mom, really managing and juggling. And, you know, we were this team. And then preteen puberty hit. And all of a sudden it was game over, man. And it became so much more difficult. And my kids changed a lot. And, Without me even realizing it, our household, which had been very peaceful, was filled with yelling, was filled with arguing, and I kept arguing right back because I was going to make my point, and my dad, you know, thank God my dad came to live with us after my mom passed away because he became the voice of reason. He was like pre-Sharon Silver, (laughs) before I got my hands on you and I could ask you all these questions and he's like, Sam, it's like, you got to stop arguing. And he's like, you're the parent. He goes, you just stop arguing. And he goes, it'll stop. It'll help stop it. And you know, it really did. But I realized there's so much more. It was like the tip of the iceberg, which is why I'm so happy to have you today because you know, these yelling, arguing consequences, concepts, um, some of them I wish I had started younger, but you know, Any port in a storm, once you learn these, your household becomes so much better. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners today because you really do have great experience. Your kids are great. I really go to you for everything, which is why you're here.
1: Well, thank you. That's quite the introduction. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that I I had a really similar story. I didn't really have a problem with my kids. Um, The twos were, in my opinion, kind of cute. You know, Um, it didn't rattle my cage. Threes were a little more difficult. But then, you know, I just happened to adore and really get young kids my um My challenges became in uh, when they were about ten or eleven um and then into teenage years. now, mind you, I was a very very young mom when I got started. I was twenty years old when my first one was born um so I had absolutely no idea and I'm a lot older than probably a lot of the people that are listening, although you can't tell from my picture um so there really wasn't, first of all, there wasn't the internet. That'll date you. Um, that'll date me actually. And there was no parenting advice. There were the tried and true. There was Dr. Spock. There was T. Barry Brazelton, which who was really a true mentor of mine. So there really wasn't the kind of information that there is now. When I found the information that I was looking for to really help my kids, I changed everything. I had been on the track to become a therapist. I went to school while I was raising my little kids. And I changed everything. I changed my major. I found a fabulous, fabulous professor. And she really guided me toward parenting because that was where I i just, all the bells were ringing. And what I learned is what I teach now is, is a version of what I teach now. But I recognized that it made such an impact. As soon as I could do it, it made an impact and changed everything that was going on. So a lot of people say, we have to start when you're young. Look, life is life. You start when you start. You do the best you can. And all of it is good stuff. So you know, it made a huge difference. The teen years were very difficult in our house. And I think that's the first thing that I want people to understand. Here I sit as a parenting expert does not mean that I did not go through exactly what you're going through. Because life is life. Emotions are emotions. Dynamics are dynamics. And kids are kids. So anybody that tells you my life was totally peaceful, I have it all together, run away from them. Because <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that's true. I tell the truth. Daily life is difficult. It's frustrating. It's real
0: well that's the one thing that was really difficult for me I live in a community where a lot of the moms are like oh you know my baby was diaper trained by the time he was a year old (gasps) yours is three you know horrified look you know the unspoken uh, criticism and I think you know with social media and the way families are portrayed we see happy vacations on Facebook we see oh my son got an award or we see like, oh, my little love bug is 15 today and we see 15 pictures of them. You know, it's 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 an illusion and it's not reality in the household. And what I wasn't prepared for, Sharon, was because I really didn't have difficult little kids you know my kids were pretty good you know very they got along well they didn't i wasn't prepared at all for the arguing that started the yelling i couldn't believe my eyes
1: yeah you know um back to what you said about social media i was at the beach the other day and i literally right in front of me i just love when the universe sends me a snapshot that i can use forevermore it was perfect I watched this couple. The woman had a semi pissed off, frustrated look on her face, and she was walking next to her um, her husband or her partner. And he was getting ready to tell uh, to take a selfie. The moment that he said "Ready, set, go," she put a smile on her face. It was complete change. They took the selfie, and she went back to the pissed off look. And. <laughs> There you have it. So, you know, social media is a snapshot of the pretty side of life. Um, Whenever I was raising my kids when they were teenagers, everybody knew that I was a parent educator. And I'll be honest, because that's just who I am. I ran around and closed all the doors and windows before my kids began screaming and yelling and we were going to have a meltdown because the last thing I wanted was the neighbors to know that we were just like everybody else. And then I began to realize, hey, wait a minute, we are just like everybody else. Keep the windows open. Um, but it's true. Um, the, the thing I think the parents don't realize is that yelling and arguing has a purpose
0: Sharon, I'm just going to stop you for a second because now is a really good time to thank our sponsor. And our sponsor today is Upstart. So if you're on your computer or on your phone, go to upstart.com slash military That's upstart.com slash military mom. And check it out while we're talking. Because if you dread looking at your credit card statements, you're not alone. And debt can feel crippling. But Upstart can help you on your path to financial freedom. And I really want to thank Upstart for supporting the military, Family and supporting Military Mom Talk Radio. We've been on the air 16 years and we wouldn't do it without companies like Upstart. And if you don't know what Upstart is, it's the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. So you can pay off credit cards, you can consolidate some high interest debt, or you can fund personal expenses. And do you know over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment? And Upstart knows that you're more than just your credit card and it's expanding access to affordable credit. And unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. So it's worth checking out, guys. And with a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans for between $1,000 and $50,000. So to find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today, go to upstart.com slash military mom. That's upstart.com slash military mom. And don't forget to use our URL and let them know we sent you. Now, loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided on your own application. So go to upstart.com slash military mom. That's upstart.com slash military mom. Now, we're talking today with proactive parenting expert Sharon Silver. And Sharon, you're talking about arguing and yelling actually has some validity has some reason, or I mean, that's counterintuitive to what we're always taught in the parenting books don't yell, you know, calm down and talk about it.
1: It's meant to help people articulate what they have not been able to articulate, what they believe does not mean the parent actually did this, but is what the child believes has been repressed. And so when the child believes that they have been repressed and unable to express something, it's going to come out in arguing and yelling. But they have different functions. Um, Yelling is because you don't, and that's what we're going to talk about now, is yelling comes from lack of clarity. And lack of clarity is because you have not been able to express yourself. You're in the emotions. You're consumed by the emotions. And so your logical mind just doesn't work. It can't happen at the same time. There's two hemispheres. So you have to calm down the emotional part in order to be able to access the logical part. And when you can't, you begin yelling. Have you ever begun yelling and you feel like you've lost your mind? You're saying things that are just ridiculous, but you're still at it. You're going to make your point. You're going to stop this no matter what. But yelling, yeah, yelling scares kids into submission. And most people don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I really disagree because I was raised in a household where there was constant yelling and threats and punishment. Did that stop my behavior? No way. It sabotaged my connection to and from my parents. It made me afraid of them. It didn't make me respect them. More importantly, it trained me not to listen. Until I was yelled at. I figured I'm going to get yelled at anyway, so why listen until they start with that voice? But I listened to their yelling and to their behavior with resentment in my heart and revenge on my tongue. And so that's really the key here. So and the other key is yelling is about you can say what you need to say to your kids. Most of the time parents are making an accurate statement about needing to correct that behavior. But it's about the intensity of delivery. And that's where the problem is. And that's what can change.
0: Well, that's the one thing that is different, I think, between like I see as a parent and a teen or preteen. I'm a parent. I've already got my emotions handled. You would hope and sometimes the kids they're full of testosterone or estrogen. I see it. I can see it on their faces. I can see it in their body language. I can almost like it's, it's almost like a, like they're, they're radioactive and there's such a difference there. And, It's the parent, and this is what my dad said, you know, it's the parent that that sets the rules, the parent that sets the tone, the parent that that stops or starts these things. We're visiting today with Sharon Silver, parenting expert. You can find out more about her at proactiveparenting.net. Now, this is part of our four-part series on yelling, arguing, consequences, and feelings. And so when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about um, alternatives to yelling things, how it's different from a te- preteen to a teen to a toddler. Um, how do you handle some of these things with a spouse? I thankfully don't have to deal with a spouse with some of these parenting things, but I do have to co-parent, which adds a whole nother layer of uh, I call it the bucket of fun because we have a step parent on the other side and my ex-husband. So it, it can make it a challenge to have one You know, kind of one theory going in the household. And I'm here with parenting expert Sharon Silver. And when we went to break, I was talking a little bit about what I thought was having my emotions under control. And I'm realizing that maybe that's not always the case. Sharon, when we were on break, you mentioned something. And I'd really like um, for this conversation to speak freely because as parents, I encourage every parent out there to embrace the fact that we don't know everything. We make mistakes, it's okay, it's what you do after you make the mistake, and it's how you learn to get better. So if you're listening today and you're one of the parents that feel that they have to have all the answers, don't. Um, And Sharon, I'd love for your feedback on my comment about having my emotions under control. I think it's really important
1: that parents understand that you're not perfect. There is no perfection, which is why I told that story. And uh, you're being very generous here. What I would say in a coaching session, if a parent told me, well, I have all my feelings under control and I view my child and I see that they're teenagers and so they're about to lose it. The whole thing about family is it's an interconnected dynamic, That means that your children biofeedback off of things that are unsaid and unprocessed inside of you. So when you get engaged in a power struggle, when you argue with your child, there are things that are going to come up for you that you haven't thought about in years. And that's the purpose of family. I mean, it does have a purpose. We all are different people at the end of raising our children than we were when it began. So there's a tremendous amount of growth that happens during the family process. If you're open to the fact that, wow, I had no idea that, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. I had no idea when I began having children that my hot trigger button was tone of voice. I mean, I'm a very open, honest person and I'm pretty gentle, but if my kids came at me with the wrong tone of voice, it was as if somebody had lit my hair on fire and it took me years and I would go after them with arguing and yelling, don't you dare. And I thought, who is that person? Where did that come from? It's as if I'm channeling my mother. And that's when the explosion happened. The light bulb went off because that was the hot button in my family of origin. I was never allowed to speak if I had the wrong tone of voice. I had to be appropriate 100% of the time. That gave me no room to express my feelings, to learn to to feel safe in my own home so that I could learn how to navigate those feelings and what to do with them. Let me give you a really good example. I love examples that are so simple. They're kindergarten based. You get an idea of what's going on so that, um, regardless of how old your child is or the complexity of the situation you're dealing with, you kind of have an idea. So last week I was at the beach, like I said, we finally went there. Um, and I'm walking past a woman who is screaming at her child. Her child is three years old and he's bending down and picking up the rocks. Okay. You know, it's kind of reasonable. Don't pick up the rocks. The problem was the intensity of her delivery. She was using a raging voice to tell him to put the rocks down. Now, if you remove the obvious, possibly mom had told him a million times in the last five minutes to put the rocks down and she was frustrated. Or maybe she was focused on adult issues and it was causing her to lash out. That's life. Those things happen. But for the purposes of this discussion, let's say that none of that is true. That mom uses that intense voice and delivery for every correction she makes. If you peel back the layers... You have to look, you have to ask mom to look at her own belief system. Maybe she believes that her kids will only listen if she does yell. Well, the unfortunate part of that is that her intensity in her yelling has actually trained her kids to behave that way. She's shown them by her intensity and the way she reacts that mom doesn't usually take action until she uses that mom voice, that intensity. So her kids have figured out that they can continue doing whatever they're doing until the moment when the mom voice arrives. The problem is that they'll never learn how to change their behavior if they continue with that. Or maybe mom has um, feelings that have been stuffed away from her childhood or something else. And she's she's packed those issues away in cold storage. And she thinks that they have no impact on her daily life. But what's happening is that your emotions absolutely do have an impact on your daily life and they begin leaking through. And that's part of the reason why you yell at your kids. It's like a, a slow hiss, a slow discharge.
0: Well, and the other thing I think is I had a mom like that, you know, my mom, like I never did anything till she really yelled because it didn't matter. Like, you know, there was a bunch of us in the household and we would just all ignore her. We would tune her out until she yelled because we knew we could do whatever we wanted, you know, and and just wait until she yelled. And then we knew it was then then it was time to stop. There you go. So you knew she had told, she had taught
1: you what her moment was. So the easiest way to deal with that is to reset when you take action. Instead of waiting until you yell, which you've trained your children to listen when that happens, take action immediately when you're still calm, when you still have a brain. You need to say, oh, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. Let's stop this right now. I have a problem with this. Or whatever you need to say. You do not need to wait until you get furious in order to stop them. Now, that moment for reset is going to take a while, and you're going to have to literally retrain your kids. But it's one of the most beneficial things that you can do. Take action the moment that you have a feeling that that's agitating you or frustrating you. Don't ignore it. Address
0: it. Well, it's funny, you know, you were talking about hot buttons and, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty even keel person, but the one thing that really like lights up my firecracker is when my like one of my children puts the other one down. I was the middle child. I had older and younger siblings. And so often I felt, you know, kind of lost in the mix or there was always somebody better. And then, you know, if if the baby whined and, and I was there, I'd get in trouble, you know. So it's like when one of them puts the other one down, that causes me to just go bananas through the roof. And it's funny because it's not even about me, but it totally triggers that, hey, you know what? You're always going to be older. You're always going to be taller. You're always going to be a boy or you're always going to be my older sister. Like I'll never catch up. So when that happens, I find myself yelling and I'm, I'm yelling and I don't even know why I'm yelling at that point. And now I do. I mean, thank you, Sharon, because that was a big issue for me.
1: Well, you're yelling because you didn't get a chance to express yourself as a child. So here your kids are playing out, they're biofeedbacking, they're literally playing out and giving you a scenario that says, you got a wound here, mom, that you're not even aware of, and it's still unresolved. So I'm going to push your buttons and it's going to surface and give you the opportunity to address it. And you'll find that if you write a letter to your sisters and you tell them, You never send the letter, but you write an honest letter and tell you what their behavior did to you, that you're literally exorcising those feelings from you. And you'll find that your reaction to your children is very different as a result after that.
0: I will. I will do that. And one of the things I did say, because the kids actually called me on it, you know, that's the one thing about you know, Niles and Fraser. they they call me on stuff. They're like, you know, Mom, why does this bother you so much? Or like, you know, what does this have to do with you? And um, you know, and I've shared with them things like, you know, my one family member, my one sister who said all the time, like I couldn't sing, I can't dance. It's like she's the dancer, she's the singer, she's the artist, blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's really funny, Sharon, like today, I made my living off my voice you know mm-hmm. from being this little kid that was told she can't sing she's got a terrible voice and ha 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 it's so funny you're funny and um, you know and I shared with the kids all those words that your older siblings if you have one or two that really put you down constantly it does leave a mark and it does impact you the rest of your life.
1: It does and I have a very similar button. I was told I had a big mouth and nothing that I said was valuable. I used to have my mouth washed out with soap and I had my mouth smacked and I make my living by talking. So the hurdle I had to go over was in the beginning, like 25 years ago, I had to literally go back and figure out why do I feel terrified and blocked to express myself in the area that delights me, that is my destiny, that is effortless for me. It's because I have to get over that hurdle of nothing you have to say is valuable. And that was my childhood wound. But now I bring it into my parenting and I show parents this. So look at your hot button. What is it that is provoked inside of you? What's the hot button that makes you yell every time with your kids? See if you can track it back to something that happened to you. It doesn't have to be exact, but something. There's some connective tissue there. And that's where you're going to be able to dissolve it so that you can help yourself.
0: Well, we all have them. You know, that's the thing. It's like this is something that, you know, we've all had experiences from our childhood, whether they're from siblings or parents, that we carry forward. And I love how you illustrated it so beautifully. It's like our kids play out these scenes. They play out these scenarios that give us the opportunity to examine and let go. Because once you let go of these things, too, Sharon, you feel so much more free. You know, neither of us are shrinks, and we're not here. To you know, we're here to talk about our, our expertise and our experience, but you can feel a lot lighter when you let some of the stuff go.
1: Well, yeah, and the other thing is that you're modeling for your child because they're going to find themselves in a situation. I mean, let's face it, we are cleaning up what was done to us, but we have yet to pay attention to what we have done to our children, and nobody escapes this without a wound. And that's like, even my kids, you know, not even my kids, that's a horrible thing to say. Of course, my kids, I ask them all the time, okay, how did I screw you up? Why, why are you behaving this way? And finally, both of them got so sick and tired of me doing this that my youngest looked at me and said, stop blaming yourself. Is it possible that I just am doing this? I had a good childhood. I said, yeah, but I created the wound. He said, yeah, but that's kind of what life is all about, isn't it, Mom? And I'm like, and there goes my teacher, you know? (laughs)
0: We're here today with Sharon Silver of ProactiveParenting.net. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, yelling. And I want to talk about yelling between siblings. And one of the things we think about is the legacy of parent to child as we go up beyond our family tree and how we can stop some of these legacies that are handed down. Now, Sharon, one of the things that I noticed in my family, I've got two boys. I've got one that's a big monster. He's five ten and 13 years old, and he, he looks like a man. And then I've got a little peanut who's two years younger than his brother, and he's very slight, very tiny. And my tiny one has the razor-sharp tongue. He can cut his brother right to the quick. I mean, even to the point of going, his brother will come in, he'll be like fatty, fatty, two by four, couldn't fit through the barn door. And, you know, it's out of his mouth so fast. And then he's running. And then my older son, you know, the two year old two years older than him, is like the freight train running at him. And it's a good thing my little one is quick, but I worry about their like the little one has learned to defend himself with his mouth. And the older one is is brute strength and brute force. And Mm I I need to get some of this under control because, I mean, I'm worried my big one will snap the little one in half.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that I like to tell parents when we're talking about siblings is if you look at a family tree, you'll see that siblings are marked on a family tree on the same arm as the tree of the tree. That means it's fair game. They are equal in the eyes of the family system. And there's a purpose to a sibling relationship. And the purpose is that they are working out how to love another person when the other person, when you're forced to love the other person and you don't like what's happened. So this is a precursor to personal relationships. That's what the sibling relationship is all about. So for a wise parent stands back and goes, well, how'd that work for you guys? How you feel? What do you want to do about that? So you become the facilitator in the situation instead of the judge and jury. You cannot protect them, and this is my hard-fought lesson. (laughs) You cannot protect them from each other. Um, You can't protect them from themselves. All you can do is be the wise soul that guides and facilitates them to to help them figure this out for themselves. And the way you do that so you don't yell and so you don't get trapped in that power struggle is that you ask the same questions to both children at the same time. So how'd that work for you, son? How'd that work for you, son? Face each other. Tell your brother how that worked. Tell your brother how that felt. And you ask the same questions to each other and you force them, force them. You facilitate a dialogue between them so that they learn that this is how you resolve issues if we were to do this with our siblings, with the chil- with our children, you would find that the divorce rate would go down or people would choose um, a little wiser before they leapt into a relationship because the relationship that you have as adults is an opportunity to work out the sibling wound. So, you know, if we're wise and the best book there is on the planet ever has been ever, well, can't say ever will be, but... Um, is Siblings Without Rivalry. It's an old book from the 50s. Um, Adele Faber and Elaine Moslish, or is it backwards? I'm not sure. And there, a new version just came out. Um, one of their daughters wrote a new version for toddlers, and I saw her speak. This has been the guidebook for every therapist and every parent educator out there. They wrote this magnificent book about how to talk to siblings. And that's where I learned that you teach parents how to be the facilitator it's brilliant
0: Well, I love that because there was so much rivalry in my household between the girls. There wasn't so much between the boys, but between the girls, it's fierce and it still exists today. I mean, I can still feel it, you know, at family events when we go home and I see my friends who also have sisters. I can I can feel it. It's like tangible and Mm -hmm. it's always that awkward place that, you know, when you're friends with a with a woman like, you know, like I think of my one really good friend, she had has an older sister and a younger sister. And even though we're in our 40s, Sharon, people, when we go to their family events, like they had a birthday recently, I can feel the two, the older sister and the younger sister vying for my attention when I'm there to support my friend because it's her her daughter's birthday.
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, and, and the sad thing about this and you see it on Facebook all the time is what we do to each other as women, the competitiveness, the comparativeness, the judgments. Um, you know, we, we are far better than that. We do not need to do that, but none of us really know where does that come from? It comes from our sisterhood. It comes From the sibling relationship, if you heal what happened in your family of origin, your life begins to change. Um, You know, there's a great um, Wayne Dyer had the greatest uh, quote, change your thoughts and you'll change your world. And it's really true. So if I change my feelings, my sister and I always had a very competitive relationship growing up. My mother and her sister had a very competitive relationship, and it was carried into my family of origin. And it really destroyed the relationship my sister and I had until my father got sick. And my sister and I sat down and for two hours, we went through and talked about, okay, how are we going to handle this? And how are we going to make sure that we love each other through this and support each other through this? And as his dementia and his Parkinson's and all of the other things that happened to him became really um, difficult, we were great with each other. And we have. um, what the key was is we have to be honest. The moment that we feel something, we have to tell each other this. And it's been hard at times, but it's been valuable. And as a result, I think my relationship with other women has begun to change as well. And that's the key.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I think um, I think families are so fascinating because... I look at the, the women in my life, and yes, they are competitive, and it starts at a very, very young age. And that competition is also shown through yelling. Like in my boys, I see it's like, who can yell louder? who's Who will slam the door louder? Like, I'm madder than you. You know, that was the, the funniest one. I mean, it wasn't funny, but it was a funny conversation we had. My kids were arguing over who was madder. Mm-hmm. You know, cause they'll, they'll argue over anything they'll, and they'll yell like to try to be louder.
1: I think that at that point, what you want to do is it's the parent's job. And we'll talk about this when we do the section on arguing, but it's the parent's job to say, I hear that. And that's it. It's like, I hear how mad you are. They, because the child is, is trying to say, do you hear, do you hear how mad I am? Do you hear how wounded I am? And I'm far more wounded than that person. It's like, you know what? I'm focused on you in the moment and I hear you. And I see the depth of how bad you feel. And now I'm turning my head and I also see how hard and uh, how upset you are. So you want to give them the acknowledgement. I see you. I hear you. you. You know, you don't have to go any further with this. You are being seen and you are being heard. Now let's talk about the other things. So that intensity, that, that wall of emotion comes forward first. What's beneath it is where the work is. What's beneath it and behind it is what you want to get to as a parent. But you'll never get there if you don't acknowledge the big
0: emotions that come forward first. Well, and I can see how both things are tied together, Sharon, like, you know, my mom was a yeller. And so we, you know, the kids really didn't do anything. We didn't jump until she yelled, you know, we'd wait, wait till it went to that point. And then now, like when I juxtapose my, my own personal behaviors, which is like, you know, kind of not to, to jump until (laughs) yelling starts. I can see how my ability to tune out or to withdraw, like when people yell, I kind of freeze and withdraw. And I think, you know, that was how I learned to cope as a kid, um, has exacerbated the situation because I don't step in until they yell because I, you know, and I think it, it stems way back and that I have a really good ability to block out yellers. I was married to somebody who, who could, could yell pretty good and I could just tune it out. It was like a radio dial. Just tune it off and ignore it until I figured out either what I needed to deal with or they were calmed down enough and you can see how the family dynamic that I grew up in has helped create the yelling problem that we have in our home boy
1: did you hit the nail on the head i mean really you hit a fundamental point about yelling and arguing the truth is that when yelling and arguing occurs the automatic human reaction is for fight or flight but think about it your child can't get up and leave they can't run away can you imagine if you were if you started yelling at your child and they got up and walked out of the room you'd go ballistic So what do they do? They emotionally retreat. They pull themselves back inside and they disconnect and they do whatever they can to protect themselves from the onslaught of the intensity that's coming at them. That means they're not listening to you. So all the yelling and all the arguing you're doing in the world is not productive. They can't hear you. They're inside trying to protect themselves. Now, That means that when your children are yelling and screaming, your part of your own system has run away. So you're waiting until it's safe to even poke your head up and say, stop it. And so this whole thing is all tied together. That's why if you pull it back and you begin at the beginning, before you feel threatened enough, before some part of you feels threatened enough to begin to withdraw, you'll have greater success. By far, and you'll stop training your children to wait until you yell before they stop their behavior, and they won't have to emotionally withdraw. So, you see how each generation teaches the same bad habits generation after generation, and nothing is human beings are not progressing in this area.
0: Well, and the other thing that I just wanted to share before we go to commercial break is, is yelling and that seething. You know, when when a parent or somebody's so mad and they're they may not be yelling, they may not be raising their voice, but they're seething and they're they're sending out so much angry energy. It's like yelling, like you can yell silently. And I want to talk about that when we get back from the break because there is yelling, but that seething. And I come from a family of seethers, and that's something something that I want to talk about because they'll always say things like well I never raised my voice I didn't yell at you. Yeah, but you seethed at me and you you glared at me and you did all these behaviors. So I want to talk about that when we get back from the break. We're visiting today with Sharon Silver, proactiveparenting.net, and we're talking about yelling. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the silent yellers because I think that that's worth putting on the table today. I'm here with Sharon Silver of proactiveparenting.net, and I really hope that you invite your husband your co-parents, your step-parents, your whatever, to listen to these episodes either with you or without you, because there are some really good gems coming out of this. I mean, every show we do, Sharon, together, I always come out with with great things, you know. And today's show, I've got three or four of them, but one of them is going to be saying like, "I hear how mad you are, and I see how bad you feel." I'm those. I'm going to embrace into my kind of parenting toolkit because you know I've got one kid who's a yeller and then one kid who's a seether and by seething I mean they they put off so much angry negative emotion they glare they cross their arms the the body language is in their own way yelling Um, And it's funny because my quiet one is the yeller, and then my chatterbox is the seether. And, you know, they're kind of, they take on these opposite personas, but just because my little seether doesn't yell and scream doesn't mean he's any less angry. And coming from a family of one yeller and the rest of them a lot of seethers, that seething angry energy, just because you're not opening your mouth and yelling can still be very destructive.
1: Yeah, it can. So I would ask you a question because this doesn't mean that it's accurate for everybody. But here's the question. Do you think that a seether, somebody in your family or one of your children, is doing this unconsciously and the message, part of the message is, come and find what I'm angry about? I'm putting the onus on you to come to me. You can see I'm angry. You come here.
0: Yes, absolutely. That that fits my little guy to a T because he'll go in the other room and seethe. And then he'll come in and get a drink and look at me and seethe at me and oh, then yeah. retreat. Seethe yeah. and retreat until I come in. Exactly. It's a, it's
1: It's a form of, you know, come here, find it, work for it. I'm making you pay for it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is. Uh, My mother was a seether to this point. You know, she's, she's still, I think she still is. And it was kind of like, she would be mad and she would basically, we would come home from school and find our drawers had been dumped all over our floor. Something had occurred and we don't know what made her mad, but we had to clean it up. So then it was not only did we have to clean up our drawers because obviously they were a mess, um, which, you know, that's accurate. But there's a million ways to ask children to clean up their drawers. But now we had to live in fear and try and figure out what are you mad about? So it became our responsibility to go to her and basically beg for give us the information. Now, today's society, there are. There's confusing messages that a child has uh, is given that they have to figure out. And then that becomes an added burden to the emotional drama that causes yelling. And one of those statements is, I'm mad at what you did. I'm not mad at you. Now, we've been using that statement for a really long time. And I've had a real problem with it almost since I heard it. I understand the goodness of this statement. And it, what you're trying to do is differentiate between the action that you did and the person that you are. But you have to understand that you're speaking to a child. And that child doesn't have the emotional bandwidth or the maturity to basically um, pull apart that subtle, complicated distinction. So the child is fearful. And the child basically opens themselves up when they're being yelled at. And then the parent says, you understand that I yelled at you because of what you did, not because I'm mad at you. Well, the child's vulnerable, open and emotional and cannot figure this out. So the child basically accepts all of the words and the characteristics, um, the character assassinations that are being thrown at them because they can't differentiate. Now, that could cause a child to grow up and be a seether. It could cause them to withhold. It's like, I can't figure out why people are mad at me, so I'm just going to stand here. And you're going to have to just come and tell me why you're mad at me. I can't figure it out for myself. It puts the burden on the other person in the relationship to come uh, and explain themselves. So it's not an open, honest dialogue is what I'm basically saying. It's, It's a difficult part. You can see how complicated this gets.
0: It does get complicated. And, you know, the one thing that, you know, and I kind of knew this growing up because my my brothers and sisters are all very different. You know, in some ways we're really similar, but in a lot of ways we're really different. And, um, you know, you look at how like when my mom was sick and dying, she had breast cancer and she ultimately died from breast cancer, how different everybody handled her illness her sickness the different stages and um you know when you have a family it's like this microcosm of little personalities and and interacting what would your advice be for me and you know i'm i'm just going to ask this cuz i think there's other parents that have little seether's like i do what would you do with the seether like what do you do when like my kid comes in my little peanut comes in the kitchen and slams a cup down and then walks in the other room do you do you chase them down like you know, what do you do? In the beginning, I think you do have to follow
1: them in until you can reroute that and retrain that so that the child feels comfortable enough to come. And I would start by going in and saying, you know, um, I just want you to know that however you're feeling, no matter what you're feeling, it's totally okay to tell me. And I just wanted to open the door and let you know that I'm here whenever you're ready. So if you need to come into the kitchen to tell me, feel free to do that. But please don't break a cup by slamming it on the counter. Use your words to tell me you're ready to talk. Okay. And, and start with that and say, anything you have to say is fine. It's fine. Just, you're not allowed to break a cup. That's not okay. So they'll usually laugh at that point, And that's really a good thing. You want to try and, you know, break open the moment, but, you need to make it okay at some point you want to get to the bottom line, which is why do you why are you holding these feelings in? Does that feel good? Wouldn't it be better to have them come out of your mouth?
0: I'm just I writing hear, all this down. I know, I know it's I, ridiculous I hear, I hear you're taking notes. <laughs> Well, but, you know, it's one of these things where in the moment, Sharon, and this is why it's so important to either work with somebody like you, use your materials, listen to you, listen to these shows, because in the moment, I don't know what to do. I just kind of stand there going, oh, but when you give me the words, like I wrote you this, I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow them in and I'm going to say, however you're feeling, it's okay to tell me. I'm here whenever you're ready. Use your words. Don't slam the cup. Anything you say is fine. Um giving me just even those languaging words helps me open the door because if I had to come up with those words on the fly by myself I I couldn't I can do it with practice but that's why you know I'm a big believer in modeling modeling like success leaves clues and and there's other parents that have walked this path before me so if I can borrow your languaging until it becomes part of me um, I can I can get more immediate results.
1: You know, uh, that's exactly why I created my new program. It's called Stop Reacting and Start Responding, the course. And it's an opportunity for parents to work with me for an entire year. Once a month, they'll get a new seminar or they'll get something um, that I'm putting out that will help them with the languaging, that will help them uh, dismantle this. And it starts with a free webinar. All the information's at the website. But that's why I created this, because if you work with me for a year, you get an opportunity to truly change your, your parenting style from reacting to responding.:
0: Well, and let me clarify that for a second. Reacting is when you just, what?
1: Reacting is when you just let it fly without thinking. You're consumed by your emotions. you are arguing, you're yelling. Um, it's not making much logical sense. Responding is starting way before you have a reaction. And it's being able to assess what's going on. But more importantly, it's being the facilitator. It's being the guide. It's being able to respond to what your child is feeling and going from there. So does it mean that there is always a perfect way of handling it? No. But what I offer parents are questions that will bridge the gap between this incident And how we find a solution. Because that gap is where parents are getting into trouble. That's where they don't know what to say. And I'm giving them what to say that will help unearth this. I'm not in everybody's living room, so I can't tell you the exact thing to say. But I can give you questions and um, ways to bridge that gap so you can unearth what's really going on. And then you know where to go. Does that mean that there's no consequences? Not at all. In fact, it causes parents to be very clear, very empathetic, very loving, and very firm. Because the goal is, my darling, it's my job to teach you how to behave. You chose that action. I have to do something about that. The more that you language this, the more that you respond, the more your child goes, yeah, I know. And they're willing to accept it. And the yelling and the arguing fades away. So that's what that's what the membership is all about is, you know, really experiencing over and over again and having in your hands the conversations, the things that you're writing down, the tips that I hand out to people so they can really make it. And, and you know, the, I hate the term, but it's true. You want to fake it till you make it. That's what I'm giving you.
0: Well, and that's it. I mean, I'm not a parenting expert. You know, my kids are are 10 and 13 or 11 and 13. You know, I I don't know these things. And so borrowing wisdom is is great because here's the thing. It's either going to work or it's not. And if it doesn't work, I'll try something else. But I rather have a tool that you use to try or at least as a starting point as opposed to standing there in the kitchen going, well, I don't know what to do. Like, and just standing there and doing nothing, which is well, unfortunately up, sometimes my, my M.O.
1: <laughs> we end up focusing on the cup that was slammed instead of the fact that the child's coming to deliver the emotions. And that's what I'm retraining parents. Don't go for the bait. Don't go for the fact that they came in and slammed the cup on the counter. Don't you dare do that. Who do you think you are? Go for, oh, that's a red flag. You need to talk that and we'll get to the cup at the end.